Chapter 21 of The Return of Clubfoot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Return of Clubfoot by Valentine Williams. Chapter 21 A Light in the Darkness and What Came of It. As I learned from Marjorie later, the slit extended for only a few feet. Then the roof sloped up again. Marjorie found herself in a narrow passage, with the fresh breeze blowing on her face. In fact, the draught was so great that the candle went out directly, and she had to put on her shoes and grope her way forward in pitch darkness. Her great fear was that the passage might lead to others, and that before she knew it she would be involved in a maze of subterranean galleries, and if the worst came to the worst, not even be able to rejoin me. She tried to maintain her direction by keeping always close to the right-hand wall and by counting her steps. But the gallery was so dark and it twisted so frequently that she soon lost count. At last she went blindly along, stopping at intervals to satisfy herself that she still felt the wind on her cheek. She had halted irresolute and was thinking about turning back, when, out of the darkness in front of her, a little glow appeared. At first, a mere suggestion of light, it grew to a steady yellow radiance that lit up, though but dimly, the rocky roof of the corridor. The light itself appeared to be concealed by a bend in the gallery. Marjorie remained perfectly still, her heart beating fast. Footsteps were approaching. Then the murmur of voices reached her ear. Her first instinct was to turn tail and flee. But then the footsteps stopped and the light stood still. Four and twenty hours already are they away,' said a deep rumbling voice in German, "'and not back yet. Der Stelze is too confident, Herr Lieutenant.' "'Yet the doctor described exactly where he tied up the lunch,' answered another voice, hard and metallic, with a more refined enunciation. "'Do you know what I think, Schroeder? This English nobleman and his orderly have seized the lunch.' "'Aber nein, Herr Lieutenant, and gone off to fetch their yacht back.' She only went to Alcido, at least so the doctor told us. Then the yacht may be back quite soon, Herr Lieutenant? Certainly, that's my conviction. And to think that Grunt had this cursed Englander in his power and let him go. Bah, said Schroeder, he grows old, der Stelzer. Here three days are gone, another trace of the treasure. In a little while, who knows? This damned Englander will be here, and our chance of making our fortunes will be gone forever. You speak true, Schroeder. If only I had any support, I would depose Grunt and take charge myself. But with these filthy Spanish monkeys— Speak softly, Herr Lieutenant. Intent as she was upon this conversation, Marjorie did not notice the light advancing until it was too late. Round the bend in the passage— came a big yellow-bearded German sailor swinging a ship's lantern, the blond young German officer Ferdinand von Hegel at his heels. In an instant they were on her, and gripping her by the wrists, dragged her down the gallery in the direction from which they had come. In silence they hustled her along for some hundred paces, then stopped at a bend. "'Wait here,' whispered the officer to Schroeder, an evil smile on his face. "'I go to reconnoitre.' This will be a pleasant surprise for our comrades." He tiptoed away. Suddenly, from without, a harsh voice cried loudly, "'You idle rascals! The launch must be there!' 
There was a confused murmur, and the voice spoke again. "'Then the English yacht may be back at any time now.' Von Hegel appeared in the gallery. "'Bring her along,' he ordered softly, beckoning with his hand. The harsh voice shouted, "'Well, we shall have to fight for it yet.' "'No, Herr Doctor,' said Von Hegel at the mouth of the gallery. "'No, there need be no fight.' They had emerged into a rocky hollow, flooded with brilliant sunshine, which almost blinded Marjorie coming from the dank, dark recesses of the cliff. An arm of vivid green tree hung across the opening of the passage, and beyond it there was a glimpse of gorgeous-hued bushes, over which the painted butterflies hovered, of bright blue sky, and in the distance sparkling green sea. And across the scene the keen sea-breeze romped, blowing the hair about the girl's eyes, a breath of life after the clammy atmosphere of the cave. His back to a tree, a ragged blanket cast across his knees, the man with the club-foot lay. His face was pallid, and his huge body shook with ague. Before him stood two uncouth figures, each with a rifle and blanket slung, poncho-fashion, across him, the center of an excited, gesticulating group. Sir Garth, the German lieutenant added, bringing Marjorie forward, will surely listen to reason when he hears that his charming daughter is a guest of Herr Dr. Grunt. And maybe even the spy, Oakwood, will come to terms. So, so. Clubfoot's thick lips bared his yellow teeth in a grim smile. Das ist ja hochst interessant. Jawohl. He raised his eyes to the girl, dark eyes that burnt with fever beetling from under the enormously bushy eyebrows, eyes that gleamed hard and menacing. But now the crowd, which had fallen back at von Hegel's dramatic interruption, surged about him and Marjorie, shouting and gesticulating. The hollow rang with German and Spanish. "'Where is the Englishman?' they yelled. "'Grunt, what of the treasure you promised us? The girl knows. Make the girl tell!' Grunt raised a great hand, and for the moment the hubbub was stilled. Old Clubfoot is not at the end of his resources. Kinder, we have a hostage, a hostage we mean to keep. Let the yacht return. As long as the Gnanicus Fräulein is our guest, we shall have no trouble from this stupid Englishman. And as for our clever young friend Oakwood, Herr Lieutenant, Herr Doctor, the Englander was last seen in company with the girl take two men and search the gallery." Von Hagel colored up at the brusqueness of Grunt's tone. "'Schroeder here,' he said, without a shred of respect in his manner, "'has explored the gallery. It leads to a small air-hole through which he believes a girl crawled. No man, he says, could possibly get through.' "'Then,' said Clubfoot, "'the Englander will be in one of the caves on the topmost terrace, unless he has escaped.' and he shot a quick glance at the officer. "'Impossible,' replied the other. "'There is only the one practicable descent, and it is guarded.' Clubfoot nodded. Then he raised his hand. "'Go now,' he said, "'and leave me with the girl.' On that von Hegel bent down and spoke softly in his ear. He seemed to be urging something with great insistence. Suddenly, one of the Spaniards, a short man with a fat gray face covered with blue stubble and little pig eyes, danced to the front of the group. He burst into a torrent of voluble Spanish, shaking his fist repeatedly at Clubfoot. 
The latter did not move a muscle, but looked at the speaker with contempt in every line of his face. It was not until some of the Germans broke in that Marjorie could understand what the scene was about. "'We're sick of being fooled!' cried the big seaman they called Schroeder. "'The Kaiser's deposed, do you hear? And we're all equal. You've bungled things long enough, Grunt. You let the cursed English spy slip through your fingers with the hiding-place of the treasure in his head. You're past your work, Grunt. You've botched our business long enough.' "'Gods wrecked!' ejaculated another German and poor Neckway got a bullet in the guts for saying as much to you in the woods yesterday." This explained the single shot we had heard in the forest when we were on the rock. "'And the doctor murdered by this verdamned Englander!' shouted a voice from the rear. Three days we waited here, and not a sign of the treasure,' said von Hegel, looking round the group. "'What have you to say to that, Grunt?' Clubfoot who had remained impassive under all this abuse, now staggered to his feet. No man lent a hand to help him. He stood and faced them, towering above them all. Ill though he was, his personality dominated every man in that place. A flame of color mounted in his haggard face. Two veins stood out like knots in his temples, and his eyes blazed. His two hands, crossed on the crutch of his stick, shook. Are you a candidate for my succession, Herr Lieutenant? He addressed himself to von Hegel alone, and his voice was calm and steady. But then his feelings seemed to overcome him, and with a roar he shouted, You insubordinate rascal! I can afford to let these curs yelp, but when the whipper in joins them, it's time for the master to use the lash. With that, he raised his heavy stick and struck the other full across the face. With a scarlet wheel barring his pink-and-white cheek, von Hegel sprang at his aggressor, but a big automatic which Grunt had plucked from his pocket brought him up short. "'I used only one bullet on Neckway,' Clubfoot warned him in a quiet, grim voice. "'There's one left for you, Herr Lieutenant. Aye, and more to spare for other mutinous blackguards like you.' Von Hegel stepped back broken, cowed, and Clubfoot cried, "'Was this puppy waste our time? The man we want, the man who can lead us to the five hundred thousand dollars in gold, is skulking trapped in a cave not a thousand yards away. Fools that you are! Don't you understand that you have but to let him know that the English girl is in our hands and he will throw up the sponge? Otherwise—' He paused deliberately and looked at Marjorie from under his heavy brows. The crowd shouted back at him in German the word in which he had rested. Sonst? Otherwise, he must know that I shall hand this delicate English lady to the tender mercies of any of our brave companions who has fallen a victim to her beauty. Black Pablo, for instance, or our handsome steward, Pizarro. At that the crowd roared approval. Black Pablo, his guitar slung across his back, a squat, toad-like creature, obese and disgusting, slouched over to the girl. He contrived to summon up from the depths of his single dull and fish-like eye an expression which made her shrink back in horror. Then, amid a burst of laughter, handsome Pizarro, the stunted mulatto cook, was pushed out of the grass. He shambled towards Marjorie, his eyeballs flashing white in his yellow, pock-marked face. "'Go, children!' cried Clubfoot. Drag this spy from his hole and bring him to me. 
This time he shall speak by gut, or we shall finish it once and for all." Again he looked at Marjorie. The gold in his teeth flashed as he smiled with cruel malice. Then, as though overcome by the demand he had made on his strength, he dropped back on his blankets once more. The hollow was all astir as the men set out. They had camped at the foot of the terraced rock, on the high ground overlooking the clearing with the grave, beyond it the broad sweep of Horseshoe Bay between the curved arms of land enclosing the lagoon. "'Take ropes,' counseled Clubfoot from his bed beneath the tree. "'You may have to descend into the caves.' The seaman, Schroeder, brought out some lengths of rope and hurried after the string of men, who, in Indian file, streamed out of the hollow, talking and laughing like a pack of schoolboys. Not a man remained behind. Even Pizarro, the colored cook, went along. Black Pablo, the leader of the party, who was the last to go, wanted to leave a guard over Marjorie. But Clubfoot would not hear of it. "'Amigo mio,' he said. El Coho is not so old as that young jackanapes would make out. I cannot climb while this cursed fever is on me, but I can look after myself, and anybody else who does me the honor of spending this pleasant afternoon in company." Black Pablo laughed stridently. They heard his feet ring sharply on the rocky ground. The next moment he was gone, and the peace of a summer afternoon descended upon the hollow, the soothing quiet of droning insects of a little breeze stirring gently in the thick foliage, the distant drumming of the sea. Clubfoot began to speak to Marjorie. End of chapter 21